honest with you, I want life to be easy. Can I get an amen? To be honest with you, I really don't want life to be difficult. I don't really like when life gets really hard, when it involves pain. How many of you like to get sick? I don't like getting sick. When I get a bad flu or something like that, I, I don't enjoy life as much as I should, maybe, when I get sick, when things don't go as, if I, as I plan it. And so most of us like life to be fairly easy. But Jesus called his disciples to a life that would not be easy, a life that would actually be hard. And he doesn't sugarcoat the issue. He says, if you're going to follow my path, if you're going to live like me, if you're going to be on my mission, life is going to be really hard. And, and if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be following after me and you call yourself a disciple, then the same thing that happens to me very well might happen to you. So they might kill you because they're going to kill me. They're going to reject me and ridicule me, persecute me, whip me, flog me, and nail me to the cross. And that might happen to you. That's what Jesus said to his followers. And to be honest with you, that runs against my whole line of thinking, me, my human normalness, I say, I don't really want to live a difficult, hard life. I want life to be easy, right? I, I don't like when people don't like me. I don't like it when people make fun of who I am and what I believe in. I don't like it when people give me a blank stare when I say, yeah, I'm living for Jesus. And they what? What is that? But Jesus called us to a hard life, and in the end, it would be worth it. But it runs against the grain of this capitalistic nirvana that everybody's striving after and never really finding. We want more stuff because we think that the more we get, the more stuff we collect, the happier we'll be. And if everything goes right, then we'll dwell in this happiness, and the rest of life can be perpetual R&R, rest and relaxation. And so most people in North America, whether they call themselves Christians or not, I think are caught in this track of a capitalistic nirvana, trying to find just easy life, trying to make life happy, trying to make life easy, trying to make life less difficult, less sickness, more happiness, more vacations, all of that stuff. But Jesus has called us to something bigger, something harder, something better, something greater that will offer a reward in the end when we see him face to face. But for you graduates, and for the rest of us here tonight, we can get caught in this cycle of chasing after easy life, kind of a capitalistic nirvana. And I want us to stand tonight and listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. If you have your Bible, would you stand with me? I want us to look at Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 20. Matthew 10, verse 20. If you find, uh, find that passage, say, I'm there. Are you there? Yes. All right. Okay. We're going to look at this reality check. Because Jesus, as I said, doesn't sugarcoat the issue for his disciples. He's sending them out. He's sending them out. For the time up till now, they've been following Jesus, and he's been answering the tough questions. And he was really good at answering the tough questions. And I can picture the disciples back here going, Yeah, get him, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And then Jesus says, Now I'm sending you out. What? I don't have all the answers like you have all the answers. And he's sending them out. And Luke, it says, two by two. 
Here it doesn't say that, but it's a, that's just another camera view of the same setting. And so Jesus is sending out his disciples to go and declare the gospel of the kingdom. So look in Matthew chapter 10. This, actually, verse 16 is where we want to start. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Listen to me. The thing which I'm about to tell you is really, really, really important. That's what the word behold means. It do. Listen up. Don't miss what I'm going to say here. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you, whip, in, you in, their, in their synagogues. And yet you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child, and, a, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim it upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Take a seat. It was a beautiful spring day. The wind was blowing through the trees. Flowers were blossoming. A fragrant scent was in the air. And all seemed well in this small village that seemed to be placed in the mid-1800s. Women were in their back rooms sewing homemade dresses. People were, were cooking. So there's this another smet mixed with the flowers of fresh-baked bread and Meat cooking and smoking and all of this stuff. So this fragrance of, of meals coming together and the springtime air and the, the trees. And, and, and it was just a beautiful setting. And this little community seemed to be perfect. It seemed to be perfect. Everything about it seemed to be perfect. It was designed to be perfect. Everybody called it 
the village. You see, several men got together with their wives and they decided that they wanted to escape reality. They wanted to escape what was going on in the big, bad, dark world out there and they wanted to take their children and they had lots of money so they bought a huge tract of land and they built this community to be perfect, to be an oasis away from everything else that was ruining the world, that would ruin them, they thought, so they created this perfect community and they lived like pioneers. The men and the women wore old-fashioned clothes and there was no electricity and there were no cars and there were no telephones, nothing. They were there in this perfect community. How many of you have seen the movie by M. Night Shyamalan, The Village? Only a few of you. Well, the whole movie goes along and you're thinking, they live in the mid-1800s, right? But in their perfect community, the sin that they were trying to escape, the effects of sin they were trying to escape, was still there. And it rears its ugly head and suddenly they start to find that these, these, these animals are being violently killed and their, their pieces flung around the village to scare people. And then people start to get killed and they're wondering what on earth is going on. They wanted to escape the reality of all of this ugliness. And the end of the movie, they're trying to run away from this this, this, this young man who had a severe mental handicap. He was developmentally disabled. And, and he had been abused. And this whole scenario played out where people were trying to protect him. But he was doing violent things and so on and so forth. And these girls are running for their lives. And they end up running out on a highway. And it's this huge shock. They're running out on a highway. And a police SUV pulls up and picks them up. And suddenly the rest of the world invades their little world because they were never really in reality. They had tried to escape it all of their lives. They tried to build literally community where they could escape reality. And in the end, it doesn't work. To be honest with you, I want life to be kind of like the village. I want all my children to love the Lord. I want my, my family members to all love and know Jesus Christ and, and serve him. I would like to live in maybe just kind of this little Baptist sort of monastery tucked away in the forested hills of the Rocky Mountains where everybody just knows and loves God and, know, and loves everybody. But that's not reality. And that's not what Jesus called you to do. He's not called us to stay where we are or to develop a perfect little kind of Baptist monastery tucked away in the mountains of, in forests, away from everybody, away from reality. He sends us out as sheep in the middle of wolves. Bah! What can sheep do? What can sheep do? I was kind of thinking of this movie Madagascar. I've seen this. Okay. Any more people seen Madagascar? A few more hands. Okay. There's this one scene where the lion, do you know what I'm talking about? He's starting to go back to the wild, and all of his friends start looking like a butcher shop. Do you know what? Do you know the scene? And they start. It starts looking like a bunch of ham chops and lamb chops and pork chops. Like everything turns in, and he's just like, "Whoa!" And we're sheep sent out in the middle of a wolf pack. That's how Jesus sends out his disciples, and that's how Jesus sends us out. And Jesus is sending you into the world to be Jesus to the world. 
Don't miss that. Jesus isn't sending you to stay in a nice little Christian collective where everything appears to be perfect. Jesus is sending you into the world to be Jesus to the world. And that's the reality check that I want us to look at tonight. I want us to look at a quick reality check. Because sometimes I lose sight of the world out there and how dark it is, how difficult it is. And parents, if you thought college, university setting was difficult 20 or 30 years ago, let me tell you, it's 20 or 30 times worse than it was 20 or 30 years ago. It really is. If you're going to secular university campus, it is really, really pagan, really, really anti-God. Yes, there are believers there, but it is extremely difficult. Just a, a month or so ago, a young man who was a believer like one of you here went to Florida Atlantic University and a teacher said, take a piece of paper out. So they took a piece of paper and he said, write the name Jesus on the piece of paper. So all the students, including this one who's a believer, wrote the name Jesus on the piece of paper in big, bold letters. And then he told the students to put it on the floor. So all the students put the piece of paper on the floor and he told them to step on the piece of paper. And this one student said, I can't do that. So he went and talked to the supervisor, this teacher, and the supervisor kicked them out of school. And the school hasn't rescinded their decision. I was shocked. I, I thought it was unbelievable until I read this reputable news article by Todd Starnes at Fo on Fox News that a student was kicked out of school for not stepping on a piece of paper that had the name Jesus on it. He didn't follow orders from the teacher. And the, te and the school said, well, we're trying to... Convince the students that these are just cultural symbols. Cultural symbols. That's what they think this is, just a cultural symbol. You guys know about Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A? Yeah. If you're from the South, you really know about Chick-fil-A. I like Chick-fil-A. Anybody like Chick-fil-A here? All right, Chick-fil-A. Yes. So, Truett Cathy started this company... In fact, they used to give out free Chick-fil-A sandwiches at Dallas Theological Seminary occasionally when we come to speak. It's really neat. They'd bring Chick-fil-A and just pass them out to everybody, like a thousand of them. So True Kathy started this company. They're closed on Sundays. Every single restaurant is closed on Sundays. He's been unashamed about what he believes, but gracious, incredibly gracious in the tone in which he conveys his beliefs about Jesus Christ. His son, Dan Kathy, same deal. Same sincerity about Jesus Christ, same convictions, but incredibly gracious. Well, at, at Emory University and at other schools around the country, but particularly Emory University, they decided when they were remodeling their campus that they didn't want Chick-fil-A on campus any longer because of Dan Cathy's stance on homosexuality, homosexual marriage. The, this uh, student representative said, we believe that... that Chick-fil-A represents an, a, uh, a closed-minded, a hateful, kind of belligerent, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he used a lot of adjectives to describe what he thought about Chick-fil-A and why they shouldn't be on campus because people, students would feel uncomfortable by their very presence on campus. And we want to be inclusive. Just because a guy says, I believe that God's definition of marriage is marriage and incredibly gracious about it uh, those that's kind of a reality check that 
we live in. This, this, this kind of place where, where people hate what we believe. In fact, if Jesus is correct, and I believe he is, he said they'll hate you. So it gets really personal. And they'll call you names. But Jesus didn't say for us to retreat, run into hiding. Or, here's the thing that's really tempting for me, because it's just my mentality. I want to fight back. I want to fight back. But Jesus said to his disciples, be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. And that is wisdom and grace, wisdom and kindness, wisdom and understanding, wisdom and understanding how you're going to relate to people and try to communicate the gospel to them. And yet, I have a difficulty with that. Because when people throw verbal rocks at me, I want to kind of like pick them up and chuck them back at them. But Jesus said, I'm actually calling you to go among them and not to fight back. And they're going to do all sorts of rotten things to you. They're going to say things to you. But tonight I want you to look reality in the face. We need to look reality in the face. That's what Jesus tells his disciples. Look down at verse 16 again. Behold, listen to what I'm telling you. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men. They'll hand you over. They'll whip you. This could happen. This happened to the disciples. This could happen to us. See how this works? Jesus is calling the twelve, Jesus is calling the disciples 2,000 years ago to go and proclaim the gospel in a setting where things were only going to get difficult, only going to get more difficult. And then he calls everyone. In John 20, 21, he says, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And this is how it's linked to us. Jesus is calling those whom Father's chosen that includes you and me to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. Faithfulness to Jesus' mission requires faithfulness at all costs. Faithfulness to Jesus' mission requires faithfulness at all costs. So in order to understand what you're getting into, you've got to look reality in the face. That life is really... InterVarsity Fellowship, it's a really solid organization. Been around for years and years and years. They're on every major college campus in the country. They're overseas. InterVarsity Fellowship has, has chapters at University of Michigan, Michigan State University, basically every probably major school in our state. University of Michigan actually was going to remove the official title of the Asian chapter of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship from their roster because they simply asked all members of the group to agree to the doctrinal statement of the group. Thankfully, U of M changed their decision and allowed Asian chapter of the InterVarsity Fellowship to retain an official spot on the roster of, of, uh, of groups. However, Rutgers University and uh, Emory University and uh, dozens others, you can go on IFV's, or I, IVF's website, dozens of other schools have kicked InterVarsity Fellowship off the campus just because they said, if you, believe, if you want to be a member in our group, you have to believe to the main essentials of Christianity. To be in the group, you believe what the group believes. I mean, it seems kind of silly to, to balk at that, but these schools are literally removing those groups from their campus because they believe it's exclusivistic, it's, it's hateful, prejudice. It's a difficult world out there. 
And then we have people among us who claim to be among us, like a young pastor that I've mentioned before, who pastored in Grand Rapids. And uh, a few months ago he came out, maybe it's two months ago, officially saying that he's for marriage. Whether it's between a man and a woman, or a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, whatever the case may be, I'm for marriage faithfulness. This is Rob Bell, former pastor um, here in Michigan. And he's popular and he has a huge following and he writes books that sell at the top of the charts. It's a difficult world out there. Look reality in the face. But here's where Jesus is going. Remember the one who's with you. When you're looking reality in the face and when things get really difficult, remember the one who's with you. That the Holy Spirit will be guiding you. The Holy Spirit will be protecting you. Look down at verse 19 and 20. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Look down at verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but, you, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And then he goes in this beautiful passage, this beautiful line about the Father caring for you, knowing even the number of the hairs on your head. That's how much the Father is watching out for his children. So when you're faced with difficulty, when you're faced with, with pain, when you're faced with ridicule, when you're faced with people who do not like you, who do not like what you believe in, who maybe want to kick you out of school, maybe want to silence you in class, maybe... What's hardest for me is they just simply don't want to be near you. They don't want to be around you. They don't like you. Remember the one who is with you in the midst of that difficult time when people are showing you that, yeah, the reality of life is, is hard. So remember the one who's with you, but also remain faithful on his mission. Verse 32 and verse 33. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. It's impossible for me to say that every single person in this room is saved in Jesus Christ. Everyone in this room would probably say, yes, I am. But those who are saved endure in the faith. That's what the Bible teaches. Those who are in Jesus Christ will endure in Jesus Christ and it's God's power working through them for them to endure in persecution and ridicule so they don't recant, so they don't deny Jesus Christ when people say, we're going to kill you if you continue to say you believe in Jesus Christ and you say, I don't care, kill me because Jesus is everything to me. So remain faithful Cry out to God. He's the one with you. The Holy Spirit is with you, giving you power, giving you strength, giving you wisdom so that you can respond. Kind of like I've seen my dad respond. September 11th is actually probably kind of like barely a memory for you guys. I, I asked the 11th and 12th grade guys a few weeks ago, where were you on September 11th? And I realized you were like, like six years old or something. It's hard to believe it's been that long ago. September 11th kind of shook our country in a big way. Because these planes piloted by terrorists 
plowed into the World Trade Center, killed thousands of people, and started a war. It was us against them. And we had congressmen calling people who weren't even Muslim diaper heads and stuff like this. Incredibly belligerent, incredibly prejudiced. And I remember the sentiment going around about Muslims, about the Arab world, and how much we needed to take them out. And I hear that around here, too, still, because we're close to Dearborn, and we're close to the Arab world. They're actually right here among us. But my dad, a few months after September 11th, his company where he was working, they hired a young man of Arab descent who was Muslim into the office. He was a young engineer. And my dad came home from work one day and he said, you know, I don't really like the way the guys are talking to this guy. They make no effort to even learn his name correctly. And every time they say his name, they make fun of it. Every time they say his name, they'll they'll turn it into some kind of twisted racial slur. Right into his face. And so my dad made the decision that he was going to try to learn this guy's name, simply as that, just try to learn his name to say it correctly. And my dad made a point to just say this guy's name correctly. About a month later, my dad came home and said, I you won't believe it, Diane, that's my mom's name. This man came into my office and he asked me to pray for him and his wife. Because she's pregnant and she's having a difficult pregnancy. And just because my dad chose to be wise and gracious and love everyone like Jesus loves them, it opened up a door just a simple door. I don't know if that man is a believer now, but he did come to my dad and ask my dad to pray in the name of Jesus Christ for his wife and for him when she's going through a difficult pregnancy. That's how Jesus wants us to respond. That's how Jesus wants you to respond when you go into that college campus, when you go into that vocation, that job, and, and profanity is used like punctu- punctuation marks. And and, and, and the guys at, 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 in your class are, are talking about what they did last weekend like it's this big pride show for them. And you have to stand up and say, I, I'm not going to live like that. I don't live like that. But to respond with wisdom and grace takes a lot of patience, takes you walking according to the Spirit and remaining faithful to God, even when people don't like you, don't like what you say, don't like what you believe. But Jesus is sending you into the world to be Jesus to the world. He's not sending us to escape. He's not sending us to fight back. He's sending us to love and show grace and remain faithful to him. That's the core of the mission that he's given you guys. And that's the mission that he's giving all of us tonight. To go into the world and be him to the world. So Jesus says, as the Father has sent me to glorify him, so I send you to glorify the Father, to make him known, to show his kind of love to every single person, to declare the gospel message, to make known how good God is and how much he's changed your life. That's the mission of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. We pray, O God, that you'd forgive us for the way in which maybe we've treated people 
that shows that we really aren't trying to walk according to your spirit and live like Jesus in the midst of wolves. Sometimes we've chosen to fight back. Sometimes we've chosen to retreat. And tonight we pray, oh God, that you would change us, that you would fill us with a holy passion to be on your mission and to be Jesus to the world and to form our lives around who he is so that people will see him in us and they will be changed by seeing and hearing his gospel. That's our heart cry tonight. And I pray for these graduates as they enter this new chapter of life, the class of 2013 here at Evangel Baptist Church. We pray that you would... Fill them anew with your Holy Spirit power. We pray that you would help them to remain faithful to you, to look reality in the face even when it's really difficult, and to know that you're with them even in that difficulty, in that ridicule, in that persecution. And we pray, oh God, that we would be lights in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, our Father. Amen.